0: Greetings and welcome to Inside the Master Studio, a behind-the-screens look into the art of GMing. Today we are joined by Burt Jennings. Hey, how's it going? I'd like to start from the very beginning. How did you first get involved with tabletop RPGs?
1: It's a very kind of weird uh, story. So a buddy of mine and I, when we were in high school, decided, hey, let's just split the cost on this whole... Star Wars role playing book. And let's we'll just see what this whole thing's about. And that was really my first um, kind of introduction into it was just kind of jumping into the deep end. So we got the book. It was the Wizards of the Coast core rule book, revised core rule book. And we just kind of jumped into it and ended up being where I just took the book home first and then like never gave it back just because I was doing all the GMing for it. And that's really kind of what started off the whole process, which was primarily just GMing for a lot of my friends, which was great. Um, but I never really get to play as a player. So it's completely skewed from a primary GM perspective. Did you start off wanting to GM for the group? Yeah, it was kind of just the natural fit. I kind of just jumped into it and just took it by the horns and then went and then never really stopped which was cool. Um, I definitely had some horror stories because when you, you know, your first GM experience, you don't really know what you're doing. You think you're doing it right. Or at least you hope so. But it's it was, a, it was just kind of the, the natural fit that would happen, which was, I think it was mainly came down to, I was the only one that wanted to read the book. <laughs> so that was kind of just thrusted upon me.
0: When was the first time you got to participate as a
1: player? Ooh, so... I, it's, I, I'm not kidding. It's just a handful of times. The first time I got to play was the same book. Um, we were using the Star Wars system. And a buddy of mine did a campaign. So I was like super excited because uh, I was going to be able to play as a player. Uh, and so I made this badass Keldor kind of scout who had like this mysterious past. And it was interesting because the entire campaign was from like an Imperial perspective. Like we were working for the Empire, so the Rebels. And so it was really interesting being, uh, you know, playing character there was an alien that was working for the empire, but like was k- proud of it, which was weird. So that was, that was a lot of fun. And that was probably the campaign that I played the most of. And I had, it was just me, the, uh, the GM and then one other dude. So it was literally the smallest party I've ever been a part of. And it was just a blast.
0: Was that campaign able to come to an organic ending?
1: Uh, unfortunately not. It sucks because I would have loved to have seen where it was going to go. I just unfortunately ended abruptly just with everyone kind of going off to college and doing all that. And we've talked about bringing it up, but I think it's been so far removed from our kind of consciousness that bring it back would be kind of a, oh, an unnatural situation.
0: Have you snuck the Keldor into other campaigns of yours as an NPC?
1: I actually haven't, uh, and that's actually a good idea. The only other campaign that I played as a player was another Star Wars one, and I made a character, but it was using the, the Edge of the Empire system. And so I made a Keldor as close as I could to him, so it was kind of my way of bringing him back, but I was playing as him again. Um, But actually, I should probably bring him in as an NPC. I'm afraid that if I bring him back in, he will die, because that seems to be the case with the current system that's running on uh, Pencils and Parsecs. But, you know, that's just the risk I have to take. When you're getting ready to run a
0: game, do you have the group in mind that you want to play first, or do you have the general story you want to tell first?
1: It's kind of a mixed bag. I think primarily... It's normally the group because I like to know, you know, normally you're playing with people, you know, um, or at least in my case, I have been. So I know what um, the group's kind of strengths and weaknesses are. In the case of Pencils and Parsecs, I didn't really know uh, pretty much anyone on the cast besides Hector, who you know was a player in one of my campaigns before. So I had to go with the story first, which was something that I spent, like, the entire winter break just kind of mapping out where I thought it should go and could go and what were the kind of limitations I wanted to put on it. And so that was a case where I actually did the story first. Normally, I focus on the players and trying to figure out what would jive well with everyone.
0: And how quickly did the story you have mapped out for Pencils and Parsecs take a turn that you weren't expecting?
1: (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> oh my gosh. The first episode, the first 10 minutes. And because again, that was a situation where I didn't know that was the first, the first episode was the first time I had actually played with all those people. It was, that was it. Like we're learning each other in that experience. So I had written, it was also my first experience doing anything like that on in a live Twitch setting. So I had written out this elaborate beginnings. They start off in a casino where I figured they were going to interact with everybody. And so I had all these different like NPCs and character names and backstories and like, they're going to do this and that. And just right off the bat, they just decided to leave the room. So I had planned for a decent amount of time to kind of grow in that naturally and kind of learn more about the characters because you know, the typical GM beginning. You start off in a bar. You learn more about each other. And they just completely (laughs) went away from that and went straight out the door, which I basically had planned. Don't go through this door. And of course, when you tell someone, don't go through that door, they go through the door. So right off the bat. And then shortly thereafter it turned into any time. It was me learning how everyone played. So there was a character, an NPC that I had introduced and was killed off quite quickly and I had elaborate plans for him. So it was me... Every time I feel like I have an understanding of what they're going to do, they never do it, which is exactly what you want for players. But at the same point is completely maddening, especially in a live situation.
0: How did Pencils and Parsecs get started on Hyper RPG?
1: It's a pretty interesting story. So Hector and I, Hector Navarro, Hector is funny, it, We're friends from way back when. We worked at the same post-effects house. And he and I go back from playing Heroclix was the first thing that him and I kind of got to know each other. And then from that, we decided to, the group at work, do a Star Wars role-playing campaign. And so I gm that. And then, you know, so we got a chance to kind of get to know each other in like that kind of setting. And so when Hyper was doing their extension down here in Los Angeles, Zach brought up the fact that he wanted to do like a Star Wars campaign. And Hector's like, you need to talk to Bert because Bert, you know, would be perfect for it. So I just get a call out of the blue from Zach being like, Hey, just, so you know, like, this is what we're doing. Do you want in? And didn't really explain much of it. Just kind of was like the general idea. And I was hundred percent on board. That being said, I didn't quite know what I was signing up for, but I'm definitely glad, but it was just a, they had an idea for a show. And Hector was like, I think I know a guy who will fit it well.
0: The characters are currently using the
1: Edge of the Empire book. Was that your choice? No, actually, that was a decision that was kind of made uh, in the pre-production stages. And so, because I'm used to the kind of traditional D20 book. uh, Actually, the most recent one I'm using is the Saga edition from Wizards of the Coast. So I was completely kind of, it's a more traditional book setting when they approached me for this, there's like, Hey, we want to use the edge of the empire. Thankfully I had gotten used to it very quickly when the one campaign, the most recent campaign I played where I was that Keldor character was an edge of the empire uh, system. So that was uh, thankfully I got used to it uh, for the few sessions that we played, but that was the decision that was made in kind of the early stages. And I actually am so glad that we switched to it. Like that's what we did because I know some people kind of have some, Strange feelings about it, but I really like the fact that there's, um, you know, success and failures and degrees of advantage and disadvantage. So uh, I really like it. I think it works perfectly for pencils and parsecs.
0: Does the system for Fantasy Flight Star Wars setting have any particular challenges or advantages when it comes to trying to tell a story in the Star Wars setting?
1: Yeah, I think it has. S- the disadvantages to it are also kind of its <laughs> advantages since there's different degrees of kind of a character makes an action and you can have, you know, it succeed, but then have a disadvantage or you could have it something fail, but cause a positive effect. So trying to think of those for every scenario can sometimes be difficult um, when you just typically want to be like, okay, cool, you passed your perception check but now I have to be like, you passed it, but now there's a disadvantage. Um, and so sometimes that is a very cool mechanism because it allows you to create these interesting moments where, you know, and particularly the thing that comes to mind is there was a moment when uh, Emma's character, Kilara uh, was like flying a ship and she succeeded with a disadvantage. So she was able to fly through, but she crashed into something, right. And it caused a whole big explosion. And so that's, I think the most difficult part about it, especially for people who aren't used to it and are trying to wrap their minds around, well, I don't understand. I should always be able to succeed at this. Um, Why is there a negative thing? But I think it adds a little bit of spice. It's just difficult to figure out how to do certain things when you're like, I just want you to (laughs) pass this check. Um, And you have to kind of think of an added level to it.
0: In the more traditional D20 Star Wars, was it easier for you to
1: fudge dice rolls? Yeah, I think absolutely. Um, because you can just be like, oh, yeah, that's what you need to do to hit them. Um, but because it's so apparent in the Edge of the Empire system, where it's like success and failure, it's difficult to know what's going to be rolled until it's rolled, which is, you know, I think a good thing, but also difficult.
0: Did you have a history of trying to put the story over the mechanics?
1: Yeah, I think I am a hundred percent in the camp of story over mechanics no matter what I'm doing just because that's what's moving the whole collective narrative along. That being said, I know and I understand I actually had to have a conversation with a player once just because they were trying to walk me through, their mindset, which is like, no, I like the level of you know, strategy I can get to with these like minute rules and stuff, because that's what was making the game fun for them. And so it was really cool to hear that perspective because I just go in my head, all oh, the story is more important. Um, but to them, it was a point that was really important. So it made me be like, okay, I, I guess I need to kind of be more mindful of that. Um, especially you know, anytime you're working with players, you want to make sure the experience is fun. I just shy away from when things get too technical. I start to get taken out of it um, because all I want to do is like, no, no, this is the story. So it's a a give and take, I think, on both sides.
0: Between difficulty, anticipating what the players are going to do and what the dice are going to do, Mm -hmm. how do you plan for the next week's game? It's really
1: difficult. It's really difficult, especially because it's live and you can't just take a moment to be like, all right, hold on. Let me go to my room for a second and think about this. Everyone, like, drink another beer or something. So I try to do a little bit of as much planning as I can think about beforehand. I'm like, okay, I think this character is going to do this. And this is what uh, I hope will happen. And I try to write in, at least with my notes, contingencies for different scenarios so i kind of spider web it out where i can look at the whole thing and go well if they do this or don't do this this will lead them to here and you know then i can loop them back to this and that kind of comes from a little bit of you know just writing for video games i'm uh, trying to do like rpg storylines quests so it's difficult more so for a role-playing experience, uh, tabletop-wise, because it's you don't know—you don't literally, you literally don't know what characters are going to do. And with a video game, you can script it al- to a certain extent.
0: In the dungeon master and game master world, there is the fear of railroading players. Mm-hmm. Is there any bit of advice that you keep close to your heart to keep from putting them on the railroad?
1: Yeah, I think. As much as there's an importance for players to understand that the GM is creating this world and kind of what they're saying goes the similarly, when you embrace the chaos uh, from a GM side to the players, So if you're trying really desperately to go, have them go on these rails into a particular direction and they're fighting it, it's equally on you to kind of go with the flow so it's easier said than done. I think a tip would be as much as you, uh, it might sound cliche, but it's like making lemonade out of lemons. So if there's a decision that gets made, sometimes positive things can come from it. But I know in the moment, especially particularly with the cast of pencils and parsecs, I'll be screaming internally when they make certain decisions. Cause I'm not trying to, you know, railroad them too much, but it's also difficult because in that case it's a show. So you're trying to make sure that everything it's different. It's different from when you're playing in your house to playing live because you need to make sure that you're mindful that it is a show that people are watching.
0: Aside from wanting to direct the direction of the story, do you ever try to direct the emotional impact of the story?
1: Oh, absolutely that's one of the things I actually take the most enjoyment out of is putting players in an emotional state because if they're really, really role-playing it, like they're really getting in the characters, it comes out. And I think I'm thankful for pencils because I have a extremely talented group of actors with me. So they're able to react um, for the most part, very fluidly, with what's happening. Um, I don't think it's disingenuous to, to put them in those situations because that's kind of what in my mind I should be doing, but I definitely, uh, feel a little manipulative when I start to learn things about characters and then the people portraying them and then purposely craft the situation that will kind of push the boundaries. Like if I know, In the case of, you know, pencils and parsecs, um, the crew has a tendency to murder their way through a lot of situations, especially when I'm like creating NPCs where I go, hey, I just want to talk and dead. But they also have a very strange moral code. So when you start to understand what that code is, you can really create situations where there is a dilemma. And I think that's, that's the important thing. That's what I should be doing. Do you have a favorite moment like that so far? I think a really interesting moment for me is when, and then, uh, hopefully this isn't a spoiler too much. I don't think it is. But when the crew was in the caves of Dantooine and there was a moment where like there was a bomb about to go off and Herg had made this kind of strange connection with a stormtrooper, and he put himself in danger to go, you know, rescue this person. And in my head, I specifically knew that if I made the stormtrooper a female, Hector uh, and Herg's character would have an attachment to him and would go after her to rescue her, I thought, right? That being said, you never know. And so there was a huge bond that was made with that character, which shouldn't be for all reasoning because it's just a stormtrooper. But, you know, manipulating that, I don't think... It created a very interesting moment. It created an NPC that normally would not have been around that actually had a whole story, which was great. So far, what moment in the show has the
0: cast surprised you the most?
1: (sighs) Um, I, I think the obvious, there's a lot, there's a lot, but I think the obvious one, uh, was I think episode five where there was the big Darren DePaul reveal for CZ because I had worked with, Everyone for their backstories, and we're slowly seeing it more as we continue to play. Where you know they know there's there's things about everyone's character that everyone else doesn't know. That being said, that whole episode, I had a completely different thing planned out, and I knew nothing about that kind of reveal or when it was going to come or that that was you know I don't know if it was that all along or whatnot. But you just had to go with it. So that one l- took me for a complete shock because I was very interested to see what was going to happen just as much as I think the other players were.
0: And so far in the show, do you have any regrets with a way that
1: you took a decision? Mm, That's a good question. Um, I'm sure if I actually racked my brain, I could figure something out. Nothing's really popping, um, just because I kind of try to keep... Moving forward, if you dwell too much on the past, you start to, you know, it affects your decisions. I would say, and this is going to sound really weird, but I honestly really, really liked the character of Cool Blue Stripes, as kind of idiotic as he was sometimes. And he, oh, this is a big spoiler, so uh, fair warning. He gets killed, as tends to happen with the NPCs, and I was kind of upset about it as it was happening. Um, and then equally, so I didn't really get the reaction from the players as I thought I would, but then I got the reaction from like the fans and everyone's like, oh man, I'm so sad. I was like, yeah, me too. So I think that was probably one that happened and I had really planned for it. I hadn't really decided definitively that it was going to happen. It was just, I knew what was going to be coming out of the elevators and, uh, and was just kind of waiting to see what they decided to do. So, yeah, man, I miss Cool Blue. I miss Cool Blue.
0: Is it weird to have fans
1: for your RPG? Oh, my gosh, yes. Uh, Very much so. It's a very interesting and new and bizarre experience. I love it, but it's strange to know that people are watching and are committed. Like, they're, they're invested in the story and they're invested in the characters. And so it takes the normal GM responsibility of you know, everything that you're doing for your players and then multiplying it by now that there's people watching it. And, you know, it's hours and hours of content that they're enjoying, uh, hopefully. Uh, but, you know, there's you're kind of mindful of the fact that there's fans of a show. It's weird. It's this weird thing for me to say, having no real experience with Twitch and uh, any of that before kind of meeting Hector. So it's a strange feeling.
0: Hyper RPG has an emphasis on fan interaction with the shows. Uh, Originally they could tip to the light side or dark side to either give the players extra dice or the GM extra dice. But now they've moved on to a different system. Do you prefer what there is now?
1: Um, it's strange and this will, well, this will be an exclusive thing. So I guess we'll, it's, yeah, that's okay for me to say this. We're actually going to try and go to a hybrid of the two. I kind of like the new system for certain aspects, and I like elements of the old one. I, I personally thought that having it be dice for the players, dice for me, was kind of a check and balance. So if ever they you know threw a bunch of dice at it, you know, a task completed, I can kind of um, mitigate that throwing dice back, and I granted I know that simple answers just make the challenges harder at least the initial check but it, you're right, because it's a weird element because of the viewer participation, as it were that you're having to create a system that doesn't hopefully break the game, but makes it fun to participate in so I kind of like elements from both, we're going to this new system again because again, we're constantly trying to refine it And I think it will be really cool with the interaction of, cause I always, you know, to me, the whole dark side, light side is a thing of star Wars and it it naturally worked for what we're trying to do. But I think knock on wood, this rolling out of this new system will, um, be, I think the perfect blend of the two without kind of giving too much away.
0: Normally I'm having to ask the guest about fantasy fatigue, but in your case, do you ever suffer from Star Wars fatigue?
1: Yeah, uh, it's a strange thing to say. So I was thinking about this kind of in prep for this conversation. I actually have only done sci-fi related things. So uh, GMed you know, Star Wars, GMed like a, a homemade Halo RPG. And so I'm completely my knowledge is completely centered in this kind of sci-fi and I'm like really intrigued to do like a fantasy thing just because I'm constantly hearing everyone talk about their situations with, you know, like dungeons and dragons or pathfinders or what have you. And so, yeah, I think there's a real space fatigue, I guess is the only way I could put it. And yeah, I definitely have gotten that and I've kind of been itching for something different.
0: If you could run a different game on Hyper PG,
1: which system would it be? Ooh, interesting. To be honest, I really enjoy DFA, but I have absolutely no clue how that system works. So that's something that really, really intrigues me. And then I kind of like what Zach's doing for his show, Vanquished. I think that's just, just the idea of a superhero one. It would be really interesting to me, too.
0: If you could be a player on one of the other RPGs on the channel, which would it be?
1: Ooh, ah, that's a good question. I really think I'd want to be on Vanquished. Like, having Zack as a GM would be really interesting. I think that would be a lot of fun. What powers would you want to have? Ooh, that's a, I didn't even think about that. That's a really great question. I'd either want something that wasn't maybe traditionally useful, like, a, and hopefully I'm not insulting anyone. on this, but like the biggest joke is, well, the biggest, but a joke is the whole Jubilee, like sparkling powers, right? Like, well, how good is that really in a like combat situation? But maybe something like uh, absorbing. So if I was able to touch something, I could absorb its properties. Um, just because I think you could get into a lot of fun with that. I know there's kind of similar powers to that already on the show. And then I really... One of my favorite X-Men is Nightcrawler. So being able to do the whole... Being the team's transportation would be really interesting. When you're looking
0: at these other shows on Hyper RPG, do you enjoy... Just the fact that you aren't as familiar with the lore in the universe.
1: Yeah, I think that's exactly how I feel. There's a lot of stuff um, for the shows that uh, are on hyper where I don't know anything about it. And so I'm learning just as much by watching the characters play and learn. And it's funny cause I, I did, I've mentioned this a few times, but I still think it's a funny story. I did a, a role playing game with a buddy of mine who knew nothing about star wars but he wanted to play. And so watching him kind of learn things about the universe as we were playing was really interesting. And that's kind of how I feel when I watch some of the other shows on hyper, because I don't know anything like I know, I, I know a little bit of, of, of some of it, but not as much as I would say about what I'm doing.
0: If you were to guest on death from above, what would your call sign be?
1: I might have to just go with Ninja uh, just because that's my thing and try and, and hold true to that as much as I could.
0: How did Ninjonomics get started?
1: Well, it's funny. So I have a dog named Ninja, and everyone always asks the, what came first, the name or the dog, and it's the name. Uh, I, for just some reason, was just sitting around trying to think of a, a, a new name for my gamer tag, and I just started cracking up when I thought about it because it's like, well, what would it be? It'd be? Is it the economics of ninjas? Like, what? how does this work? And I just... Like for some reason, really stuck with it. So I just imagine taking a college course, and it was like, oh yeah, I'm taking like you know, ninjonomics 101. Like, what does that mean? And like, what is it? Is it is it actually like ninjutsu that you're learning, or is it the economics of running a ninja? Do- I don't know. So I just for some reason that stuck with me, and I love it.
0: You can never find out because you can never find the class.
1: <laughs> exactly. Exactly.
0: Without delving too much into spoiler territory. Do you have a grand idea for the direction of pencils and parsecs?
1: I do. I do. I've very excited for what I think is a grand story an elaborate story that hopefully people will be able to look back and see the breadcrumbs that have been left. I know how I want to, I know where I want to go and how I want to get there, but it's difficult to be completely confident that everything's going to go the way that you want it to. But I yes, the answer is I have a grand plan, but we'll see what happens. So far, so good, actually. So far, I've been able to kind of course correct and get back on quote unquote track, but we'll just have to wait and see.
0: Are there any plans to delve into some of the source material from the other books?
1: I think so. I mean, the plan from kind of the beginning was to think of it in terms of a season. So season one, season two, yada, yada, yada. We'll see. Right. But the idea would be to either branch into possibly maybe other eras. And I'm, I grew up on legends so my understanding of star wars is from that perspective i'm trying my best to kind of keep the story ambiguous and where it's set in my mind i kind of well it's difficult because we've created our own timeline so i'm able to just pull things from whatever i want to but i find myself more and more doing research on what is canon now because i'll be surprised sometimes when i'm looking something up and i go oh that's that's, that's the new story behind that. Okay. Um, so thankfully I get to kind of grab from both, but I like to, I've read so many of the star Wars books that I like to pull everything that I can from, from it as a tool.
0: Will there be any appearances by Wraith squadron?
1: Uh, it, <laughs> depending on what happens, possibly.
0: Or Ewoks piloting interceptors.
1: So that was the one thing that came up. This is a funny story. Cause anytime I set my campaigns, I always get the question of like, well, what error like where are we on the timeline? And I traditionally just send it uh, as a knee jerk, just, oh, okay. It's right after a new hope because people are like, okay, cool. I can, there's, we're not committed to too much, but you'll have the few people who go, well, I want to play as an Ewok and I'll go, Oh, okay. Well, explain to me why that would work. And then most of the time it's just a joke. Like, Oh no, I don't really want to, but there was one buddy of mine who created this amazing backstory for this, this character that he ended up not even doing, but he's like, no, no, no. So it'd be my Ewok. Uh, there's a bunch of slavers that like or smugglers that, you know, came past Endor. They picked up an Ewok. They like traded to like fight. So it was like this fight club. Ewok. And he uh, explained elaborately how this creature would fit into kind of an earlier timeline. And, Uh, I was like, dude, this actually sounds really cool. I'm totally okay with it. And then he ended up doing a completely different character.
0: When it comes to the characters on Pencils and Parsecs, how much control did they have in terms of their background? Was there anything that you mandated for the show?
1: I, I gave them complete control. Obviously, there were certain points where I needed to be like, okay, that might be a little bit, too extreme in the sense would be like, Oh cool. Does your character have a secret bank account? Well, it will, that might be a well that you draw from too much, right? Or will there be a consequence from accessing it or whatever? So kind of making sure that that wasn't something that was going to become something about their backstory that would be like too OP, but I gave them complete control and it was great because they all really latched to it and made it their own. I still get updates from, certain characters, uh, or I'm certain, certain players, characters, like, Hey, I'm adding this, like, can I add this in my backstory? So it's, uh, everything you see is completely them. And I think it's fantastic.
0: Did you have to go with a, not everyone rolls humans mandate or did they take to different species?
1: I didn't put a mandate on it at all. I, they all naturally went with the, species um, that they chose which was cool because it's kind of a diverse group it definitely took a little bit of research in regards to uh, making sure i kind of knew as much as i thought i did about everyone's species and i'm still kind of learning stuff like i know hector is a tagorean but there was like a question I was like well do they have tails and i go "Ah, oh, crap i don't know so there's some uh homework that i needed to do but everyone shows what they wanted to choose.
0: And eventually having to fold two new characters into the storyline. Was there a particular difficulty in that?
1: Yeah, I think that's been one of the more difficult aspects of Pendles and parsecs has been the, um, kind of figuring out the cast because they're all, everyone who's on the show is a professional in Los Angeles. So people's schedules change and it's difficult um, to kind of make sure that everyone's there for every episode. So that's always interesting from that aspect of bringing on guests. And we've had some great characters um, and that have been introduced to the storyline because the guests that we've had have played them perfectly. Bringing in new, two new players was kind of a hard situation for me because thankfully I was in a perfect spot within the story where I felt like it worked naturally with just bringing on more people for this crew because everyone's kind of been messing up, but it's difficult because you're bringing two new people into a story where they don't know necessarily all of everything that's happened, which makes sense for their characters as well. But it's difficult because I'll like reference something and I remind myself, oh, yeah, that's right. You know, um, Erica and Keith wasn't there for it. So it worked, but it's I'm still finding kind of <laughs> landmines of narratively like, oh, yeah, I need to maybe explain this or this doesn't have the same impact because you weren't there. But sometimes it works off perfectly in the story.
0: Have there been moments where you had a gap in the story that you exploited?
1: Interesting. Um, There's been a few times where they've decided to take a turn with something. And I've ran with it and just kind of saw where it went. I guess a good example would be when this whole distrust of one of the NPCs, Randall, um, was very, very intentional in the sense that, you know, that was kind of what I was going for. But seeing how much that's um, kind of bled into everything else, like there's another example where they met another character and there was a firefight and they didn't really trust the person. And I had thought in my head, oh, they're going to trust this person and we're going to move forward. And that wasn't the case, so it's just kind of having to go with the flow of the fact that I've, I guess, put them so emotionally on edge that I'm having to realize, okay, I gotta build a little bit more trust here, because they're kind of, don't trust anybody.
0: In the end, would you rather see Randall as the hero of the story, or the villain of the story?
1: Ooh, um, I don't, I know what I want. I don't think I should say, because I think part of the mystery of that character, there's a lot of people that who really, really like the character and think that he's a hero. Uh, And then there's people who are hundred percent positive that he is going to betray everyone and breathe the downfall of the group. So I know kind of what I think and where I want to go with it, but it also isn't necessarily set in stone for me because it depends on how everything plays out. You never know until it actually happens. I know, though, exactly where I think he stands in between those two, but.
0: Is he your favorite NPC to play on the show
1: right now? He is definitely up there, and he was until the introduction of K-001. Cool, their battle droid that kind of stays on the ship. That was a character that where I was very curious to see how he was going to react or how everyone was going to react to him. And I understood the reasoning behind giving them like the, the meta reasoning behind giving them cool, as they call him, just because I needed kind of a way to, we've implemented a system where they find um, items based off what the audience kind of unlocks. So he's my easiest way of like, Hey, I found this thing. Um, that being said, his interaction. And the more and more I've kind of, think I know where Cool's going is, uh, hilarious to me. Um, just the fact that in one of the episodes, you just walk around with a briefcase full of drugs and they're like, what are you doing? And this is to me, it, he is quickly becoming my favorite character, uh, NPC wise, but playing Randall, who is able to more or less call the players out for some of their stupid stuff, um, is refreshing as a GM. I think every GM should think about that where I can have a character tell them you're messing up and this is what were you thinking by doing this? It's refreshing. I was about
0: to ask how much of Randall is a character and how much is just <laughs> a frustrated GM.
1: Yeah. Uh, it's, it's becoming more and more a frustrated GM, but in a, in a nice way, I had an, so my, I really like Randall. So my, rationale behind it was initially i had created this character uh who they met in the very beginning and he was going to be an imperial basically i was like well what if i make an imperial that kind of does some good to kind of play with that trope and then you know before i could even really flush that out they shot him in the back of the head so i was like all right well what if i played a rebel who they know that they should you know, like, because he's a rebel, but he's a complete asshole. And it's been so refreshing. I can't stop uh, smiling when I think about the times where I'm able to, as an NPC, tell them, you done goofed, kid.
0: Have you started developing strategies to keep the story going when the group gets
1: into the planning mode? Yeah, so that's definitely something that i'm trying to get better at because it goes back to your question about how much do you want to keep a story on the rail or you know on or off the rails and this most recent section when they were on Nal Huda, uh, i'm sorry narshada narshada i kind of used the whole quest i guess as kind of an experiment to see how much control can i give them and what are they allowed to do and it Worked in the sense to where I learned that they spend a lot of time <sighs> trying to figure out the perfect way to tackle something and, uh, it, it chugs, like it, it slows down and I don't like that. So part of me is having to now, kind of after testing that, figure out a, a better way of moving them forward. Um, again, especially because it's a, You know, it's live, it's a show, and I can only imagine how kind of uh, frustrating that might be as if you'd be like, ah, just come on, are we still talking about it? We have these wonderful scenes where everyone accidentally gets high, and it's fantastic. But I think the easiest ways to do it, and it depends on the scenario, is putting pressure on them. So if they're taking too long to think about something uh, like let's say they're in a combat situation you just go, okay, cool. Well, you took too long and your turn's over, right? And after you do that a couple times, they'll definitely learn to make a decision, react. And then outside of that, it's being as clear as you can and using NPCs to do it um, to be like, hey, here's the plan. and And part of it, the frustrating thing is when you want to kind of give the player as much choice as you want, But then, so in this particular case, like, cool, you guys are going to go into the arena and you're going to kill this hut. In my head, I go, well, there's a lot of ways that this could happen and go down. Like, I don't really want to force them to do something because I don't know, you know, there's a lot of ways to tackle this. But the big thing, I guess my error was I should have just got them in there faster. And that is something that I'm continuously learning how to do with them.
0: And how do you balance the want to make the characters roll for their actions versus keeping the story
1: going? Yeah, that's a good question. It's a fine line that I'm constantly trying to be mindful of. I know there, there's times where people might go, really, you're going to make them roll for that? And it might just come down to the fact that they have a bunch of dice uh, in their pool to use. And part of me wants to go, I need to start burning some of these, not from like a malicious tactical way, but in a sense where it's like, well, there's a bunch of, you know, it's a show that's supported by participation. So making them kind of do something, uh, that might seem just ridiculous and, you know, well, let's see what happens. Cause the, the thing is there's always, you know, with that being said, I can tie my shoes a hundred times thousand times but there'll be one time when i do it and the shoelace comes untied so i think that having them do certain simplistic things uh and make him roll for it keeps them on their toes but it's also a fine balance you don't want to make them get frustrated when they're doing something but it you know when herd wants to poop all in a guy's bedroom i'm gonna make you roll for it because it just seems like a funny like only in a role-playing game, am I making roll to poop? I I, I don't know. I just find that also hilarious.
0: And what about rolling when it comes to something a character might have knowledge about? Uh, For example, when Virgo was trying to kill a hut with poison, where is the decision between wanting a good moment for a show versus what a character may have foreknowledge of.
1: Yeah, that's a very interesting point. And I think that one specifically comes to mind uh, mainly because it's probably the most recent and most fresh. I think it's difficult because again the show is live so I can't like pause and be like, hey, so you might want to think about this. I mean, I could. uh, I just don't want to disrupt the flow too much. I think in that particular case, I know Virgo's backstory enough to go, well, you might not necessarily know this. And it seemed like it was information that uh, a lot of the crew didn't necessarily know. And it's difficult because it seemed clearly apparent that she was committed to this route of poisoning the hut. Look, there's, there's always a chance where whatever they roll excuse me, is going to succeed. So if she gotten a critical hit, it's not to say that it wouldn't have worked. And it's not to say that it technically didn't work. It just necessarily didn't happen in the time frame that the player wanted. So that's a really interesting question. And I think, you know, hindsight's twenty twenty, and you, you wonder, oh yeah, right off the get-go, should I have been like, no, you can't do that. But it led to an interesting moment. I don't know if that justifies it or not. It's difficult. It's difficult, especially with something like, you know, well, any sort of role playing where there's a deep lore to the material that you're using. It's always a f- it's difficult making sure that the players know what you think they should know. And you, you just gotta go with it. So in this case, it's like, well, I, I don't know, you were so quite literally transfixed on uh, poisons that maybe you just didn't take the time to think about it. I also kind of know her backstory and she might not have known that, but
0: how do you balance the entertainment value of watching these characters fail versus watching them <laughs> succeed?
1: Yeah, I, um, <sighs> I think for the most part, you obviously want them to succeed at like the big ticket items. Like I'm not trying to kill everyone uh, in an encounter. That being said, I believe that there's consequences for your actions. So if a player does something, then you know I kind of want them to, to fail at certain stuff. So, you know, what comes to mind is there was the moment where, you know, they were in a farmhouse trying to save people and Herc started a fire in the kitchen. To me, that was hilarious. And it may have been an extreme response to a simple perception check, but it turned into a moment it turned into something that was happening granted that was juxtaposed with i think in the next episode her going on a murderous rampage and ripping people's spines out of uh, their body so i think you give players moments uh when they fail to make it i don't know I, you don't you never want, you don't want it to stink but i think you make it where it, it they go okay maybe in the moment they're not necessarily about it but afterwards you know they go okay i kind of get it and you balance that off with the moments where you know you kind of need them to succeed. Um, otherwise, bad things can happen. So it's difficult um, and it's something that as a GM, you the more and more you play with your players, the more and more you are hopefully learning about them. And not just the, like the characters' backstory, but the actual players' how they react to what's going on. So you never want to make someone so frustrated where they don't want to play. But I think having, having failure is important because it's what happens to everybody in real life. And it should be happening in the game. Otherwise, like what's the point? Are you able to read chat during the game? I am not. I have just what's kind of, I have a special overlay that's just for me as the GM. So I can see everyone's health in um, the dice pools. I can't see what's happening in chat, but I we'll go back after an episode and rewatch certain key sections just to see how chat reacted to me. It's interesting to see when I thought something was really going to hit very well. And it, you know, kind of falls flat or moments where, you know, I go, Oh, I didn't realize that that's a thing, but that's a thing now. So I'll, I don't have access to it, but I'll go back and watch it um, for parts where, I feel like there would be activity, if that makes sense.
0: Are you glad you don't have to read the
1: opinions of other GMs while you're GMing? Uh, Yeah, I'm I'm 100% on board with not kind of having a, uh, seeing any sort of backseat GM messages. And look, it's like, I get it from the standpoint where, you know, I make mistakes, I make mistakes all the time specifically with like rules. And it's something that I want to be made aware of, but it's also, I'm glad that I'm not seeing uh, an immediate reaction to maybe my failures uh, as they happen. If you had the opportunity to take
0: pencils and parsecs to a live showing at a Gen Con or a PAX, would you want to? Oh
1: my gosh. Yes. I think that would be fantastic. I I think that's actually now a goal of, if I can, I don't know how it's possible, but I've just, uh, that sounds amazing to me, especially with the cast. Yeah. I would love to do that.
0: If you were all dressed up as characters, what would you dress up as?
1: Yeah. See, I've thought about this a lot and I know everyone, everyone has sweet, awesome kick-ass fan art that's been made, which has been fantastic to see. And I'm thinking to myself, like, what would I be? And I think going back to the whole, you know, dark side, light side players versus GM, I would love to be like the Sith robe sitting in a chair, like hovering dice in the air if I could. Like that's that's in my head, that's what it is. And I don't know it's wrong because, you know, I'm not really opposed to them in the sense where I you know because here's the thing, I could make you know, I'm the GM, anything can happen. But I think that's in my head, my visualization of what my character is is the kind of uh, Sith Overlord. Now let me pitch you this. Okay. You're the
0: GM. Hmm. Maybe that's short for Grand Moff.
1: Oh. Oh, I really like that.
0: You may roll when ready.
1: <laughs> uh, yeah, I think that's definitely it. I love it. Uh, Grand Moff. It sounds perfect.
0: We're going to start wrapping up. But before we do, I'm going to ask you some questions from the Pivo questionnaire, pioneered by Bernard Pivo.
1: What is your favorite word? I think from post production and video game background, I love the word approved. What is your least favorite word? Ooh, same vein, I'd say feedback.
0: <laughs> what turns you on creatively, spiritually, or emotionally?
1: Music, I, I definitely write to listening to music, uh, mostly a lot of soundtracks. Um, I can't really focus. If it's any song with words, I'll get distracted, but I listen to a lot of scores, and I think that's a really powerful tool for me and that I use.
0: Do you have a specific score that really does it for
1: you? Yeah, so there's a uh, the Halo ODST soundtrack. It was strange. It was, it was different. It's actually one of my favorite halos. Um, and there is a whole portion of the game where you're kind of walking around the city at night, and they made some really interesting jazz music that kind of went with it. So there's a track that I listened to. It's kind of actually a combination of all the jazz parts. And I have kind of been listening to that nonstop for almost a year now at this point. What turns you off? I think stubbornness, and I'm definitely. I mean, you know, there's, there's a plank in my eye for that too. But if I'm trying to communicate or talk someone through a different viewpoint and someone just is unwilling to have the conversation, that really frustrates me because you can have a different viewpoint. And I think you should, or having different viewpoints is totally fine, but I think people should have a reason for what they believe or do. And when, you know, but part of my understanding of, of getting to where a point where I can know why you think that is important but if people aren't willing to to have a conversation that really frustrates me
0: what is your favorite curse word to hear from your players (laughs) oh man
1: shit (laughs) oh shit um i think it's indicative of either one a mistake that was just made or information coming to light that they are just now putting together uh i think is the best
0: do you prefer it from a certain player? For example, the <laughs> Hector Navarro rapid fire shit?
1: <laughs> That's exactly what I was thinking. It's one of my favorite moments when Darren's character was tied up and we were kind of looking at each other, motioning what he was doing. And he was Hector was so transfixed on uh, talking to Emma's character, Kilara, that when he turned around and it was revealed that no one was there the the level the machine gun fire level of shits that came out of hector's mouth just cracks me up and it's just to me it seems like it's the most real like it was him processing what was happening um and anytime you can get like a a, um, fantastic improv person like hector to just kind of shit 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 to me that's a win what sound
0: or noise do you love
1: I love the sound of my dog. He's got a collar. And so when he walks around, I hear this like jingle jangle as he's walking around. It to me, it's the best. What sound or noise do you hate? Uh, to be honest, and this is going to sound really strange, but it's the sound of like a, a, a notification, it's particularly like Skype or email, just because of work has conditioned me to, uh, of flinch anytime I hear like a Skype message or you know a new email just because it's just you, you hit with so many that you start to. I don't know, for me, it's a nervous twitch. What
0: game system would you like to attempt?
1: I honestly kind of going back to what we we're talking about before, I've never done a fantasy game, and so I know for me, I'm a big Lord of the Rings fan and I'm a big Game of Thrones fan, and I found out that there's a game system for Game of Thrones, which really intrigues me, but I'm kind of more familiar with the the lore of Lord of the Rings, and so I really want to do like a Lord of the Rings system.
0: What game system would you not like to attempt?
1: (sighs) I don't know. I mean, that's a difficult question, because I guess I'm just not familiar with as much as maybe other people when it comes to the fantasy stuff. I hate rules heavy. Um, systems. So I would say anything that has like a lot of very technical rules would probably um, be off-putting to me.
0: When Pencils and Parsecs concludes, what would you like to hear from your players?
1: Hopefully, I think, I think hopefully that'll mean that the, that when the story's concluded, and I say that if there's a season two, it was set in a different era, within Star Wars, they'd be super pumped about it. Where can the insiders
0: find out more about you? And is there anything that you'd like to plug?
1: Yeah. Uh, as we mentioned, I'm Ninjonomics 101 So everyone can find me there on most social things, Twitter and Instagram. If you're on Instagram, you'll find adorable pictures of my dog. You can definitely find me on Pencils and Parsecs every Friday. Um, that's on Twitch.tv slash HyperRPG. That's Fridays at 9 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. But you can also catch up on all the previous episodes on HyperRPG's YouTube. And then, unfortunately, I can't really say much about what we're doing at work, but hopefully I'll be able to announce some stuff post E3. But in the meantime, quick shout out to Turn Me Up Games. That lets me take time to do pencils and parsecs, which is great. Thanks for joining us in
0: the studio today. Yeah, thank you for having me. This was a blast. Make sure to catch Pencils and Parsecs live Friday nights at 9pm Pacific Time on twitch.tv hyperrpg. Failing that, you can always watch it on YouTube, or you can also head to SoundCloud to listen to it as a podcast. You can follow this podcast on Twitter at itms_podcast. underscore podcast. Inside the Master's Studio is an Audio Entropy original. You can head to AudioEntropy.com for more podcasts, like the recently debuted D Comedy Podcast, a Disney Channel original movie rewatch featuring Lucas and Emma. Check out Cosmic Call, an improv comedy podcast featuring Luke and Ashley as Bert the Copier and Yaretta. You can also help Audio Entropy by donating. All the money goes directly to hosting the website, as it is paid for out of pocket by one of our members. I've been your host, Demoon Rules, and remember, rebellions are built on hope, but they're often window-dressed with broken sunglasses, shredded couches, and shit-covered beds.
1: Love writing the backstory for your tabletop game characters just as much as the adventure. Ooh, yes I do. How about creating fun, kick-ass, and inclusive characters? Oh, I like that. If you answered yes, then check out All My Fantasy Children, a tabletop character creation podcast hosted by me, Aaron Catano, and my best friend, Jeff Stormer. How cute! Together. With our powers combined, we create a new character every single week with the help of listener-submitted prompts and a variety of cool tabletop games. But where can I find it? Find all my fantasy children on SoundCloud, iTunes, Android Play, and on Twitter at amfc underscore podcast.